Welcome to the Through Thick and Thin podcast, a Megaloop Labs production. Imagine your significant other suffers a traumatic brain injury, a stroke, a spinal cord injury, or other medical diagnosis leaving them in peril. What would you do? Would your relationship survive? On this show, we will talk to couples facing this complex adversity, hear firsthand their struggles and triumphs, and how love conquers all. Welcome to another episode. I'm Joe, your host. Thanks for coming along for the ride. If you enjoyed the last show, you will be blown away by today's guests. I was in awe listening to all that they've gone through. Without further ado, here we go. Hi, I'm Jen. Hi, I'm Rolo, and we're from New York City, and we now live in Florida. Welcome to the podcast Through Thick and Thin. New York to Florida, how did that happen? So, it actually... The when and how is part of our relationship story. So, um, Raul, you can start with yours. Well, we, we've had a home in Florida since '09, but we lived in New York City. Um, long story short, uh, me and my wife, do we start from the accident, before the accident? Where do you want to go with this? I think we should start from the accident and everything that, how our, our relationship changed and evolved from then. I, I think it's up to him, really. We can go in any direction here. Whatever you're most comfortable discussing would be great. I'm, I'm going to start by describing my character. Um, before the accident, uh, I had a blue-collar job for the city, Department of Sanitation. I was a union rep with the Teamsters, and I also owned a bar. Um, I grew up on motorcycles, and I had the day job, and I had the bar, and I've always rode bikes. Um, moving further, I was, I was on a long trip because from Florida to New Orleans, and on the way back, I had a heart attack and had a bad accident, uh, flat line a couple times, uh, almost didn't make it, and now I'm a quad, a C5, C6. Um, woke up 45 days later, don't remember anything, don't, don't know anything. I was in an induced coma. Um, my wife did a little investigation. Um, I was in the hospital in Tallahassee, Florida and she heard about Shepherds, and we went to Shepherds. And it was a life-changing situation. I mean, thank God for Shepherds, because when you're in a place where everyone is injured like you, you don't feel out of place, you don't feel, uh, you don't feel like you're the only guy that had had an accident. So we we were there for three months, right, honey? Yes. And uh, my wife was very supportive, slept with me in the room every night. She bought an air mattress. She lay next to me. I mean, I can't ask for anything else. I can't ask for anything more during rehab. Um, moving forward, I was in a rush to come back to New York. I had just signed a lease for a restaurant that I was in the middle, well, I had just signed the lease and I was gonna start construction when my accident happened, when I got back. Um, I got back from rehab and I tried to just jump into my old life. And it, it wasn't good. I was depressed. I could see the way people act a little differently. Um, how could I say? 
I was in a depressed state, and I never knew about depression, because uh, I grew up in, you know, I grew up in the South Bronx, and the mentality that I had was, men don't have feelings. That's, you know, that's for women. We're strong, and we carry the world on our shoulders. So, you know, it was all new to me. It was like going from being a shark to a guppy, and I had a big, humble pie put in my mouth. And I was not ready for it. I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know. It was bad. It was really bad. Um, so I couldn't sleep at night. I kept thinking about things and my mind just would race at night and I wouldn't sleep. And then not sleeping, only sleeping two hours. You have a rough day and it was just not a good situation. I let my wife get us to there. Okay, my wife. You can say your side. <laughs> it's the it's our side. Uh, our side. So his um, his accident was definitely a uh, a changer in our everyday life. Of course, um, we we were super independent always on the go, very, your typical New Yorker running at a thousand miles per hour, uh, the hurry up weight mentality. Um, his accident changed a lot for both of us. Um, for me, it made me a very angry person. Like my world was turned upside down, not as much as his, but I went into a defensive mode where I felt I had to protect him and, and try to keep everything going. And while he was in rehab, we were in rehab together. Um, I was working from the hospital, but learning everything I could learn about an SCI, opening up a business in New York while we're in Atlanta, um, getting ready to bring him home. And all I wanted to do was to make home as accessible and and back to normal as much as as could as much as we could which now was the wrong thing to do we never took a minute to to grasp how much our lives were going to change we were so trying to move back to our old life we never took time to ask each other how are you feeling are you okay we were both that tough exterior like anyone would people always said my god this accident hasn't changed you guys like we tried so hard to just Maintain. keep yeah the people we were like this accident didn't do anything to us my husband's in a wheelchair but it's really no different he's still the same person so um that keeping that up for a long time is tiring it weighs on you it weighed on us on our relationship on our marriage on our children, on our businesses, it, it was way more than we both realized at the moment. So when we came home, he tried to jump back into his normal life, and so did I, and I just became more angry, and he was going through, imagine, um, life-changing situation. He was depressed and I was angry and we weren't there for each other at all. And we avoided, that affected, we avoided each other. It, it affected our marriage. Yeah, it really affected our marriage. Like, you know, I became like his caretaker, you know, and, and then I had resentment in that because I wasn't sleeping and I was tired and I was still working and I was still taking care of the kids and... I just wanted to keep that image of us being the same people we were prior to his accident. And of course, after a year, it took its toll on our marriage. And three years into his accident, into his injury, I'm sorry, I keep saying accident, three years into his injury, We uh, split. We, we separated. Uh, 
we separated. I came to Florida and she stood in New York. And it was right before COVID. And maybe it was a blessing, I don't know, because my diaphragm is half paralyzed, so my breathing ain't the best. Um, came down and it was like the longest 10 months of my life. Because at first I was at peace because I wasn't around her. But I say maybe 60 days later, I miss my best friend. And she's my person. And you realize that when you're not with your person. And we started talking and talking and you know, nothing was definite, we were just talking. We always stood in touch. We always checked on each other. We always make sure we were good. I mean, you know, the kids will always bring back something. I say kids, but our youngest right now is 23. But when my injury happened, he was graduating high school. So my wife had to, my, my accident happened in May. He was graduating high school in June. And he was the youngest, and he was on his way to college in September. So we, we had a lot of things going on. I had a business, the bar still going on, and then we had the new business coming up, and I had other little ventures that I had. And like everything else, if you own something and you're not there, things are not going to work out the way you expect them. They're just not. And, you know, you can trust people, but no one's going to be you. And at the end of the day, I moved down here. She stood in New York. Uh, she kept working. And, you know, I think 10 months later, we decided to get back together. She came down. Uh, Florida life for me is so much better than New York City. Um, I can get around here. Um, I'm blessed, I have a van that I can drive, I got hand controls, and I can get around over here. I can do things here that I can't do in New York. New York is so tough to get parking. Um, a lot of the places are not accessible because they're so old that they don't have to be accessible. Um, the cold really gets to me now. And, you know, being down here was just, slowing down my life and slowing down my pace. And I think it took me those 10 months to finally get real comfortable with the chair. And, you know, and as I was here, I was missing my wife. You know, I was missing her. And I realized all of my shortcomings before the accident. Um, since I had a day job and I had a business and I had a couple of ventures, I will work 12 hours a day, 13 hours a day. And I've never really paid attention to those little things with my wife. You know, when she's not feeling good or she's having a bad day. Like, I didn't recognize those things before. I, uh, what could I say, oblivious maybe to it? Uh, I, I don't know the exact word, but during those 10 months that I got out of my depression, I started looking at my relationship for the 30 years we've been together, and I started realizing all my faults. And, and we would talk about them on the phone, and I've never done therapy, so when I got here, I finally got a therapist. I never had a therapist in my whole life. Um, and that helped me out a lot to realize who I was, who she is to me, and how a relationship really works. Um, we've been together since we were kids. So it wasn't like, you know, I was good at it. You know, it was just, she was my person. And, and I thought, you know, everything was fine as long as I was working and bringing home money, but there's a lot more to life than money and, and work. You know, there's being in tune with your wife and having that relationship. Like we lost, towards the end of our, before my accident, we lost that friendship that we had. 
I mean, we understood each other. We can finish each other's sentences. But we lost that loving, happy feeling that we had just talking. And right now, I think our relationship, I'm still doing therapy. We have couples therapy. We do once a week. And we're still a work in progress. But our relationship is so much better. I feel... I wake up and I can look at my wife and smile. And, and, and I get that Google feeling that I had when I was a kid when we first started dating. When we first started dating. And so far, it's there. And we got back in uh, September of last year. And it's a year now. It's a year and two weeks. September 30th is when she came back. Um, and uh, we've, we've, we had a little rocky time in the beginning, and, and I think now we're, we're in a good place, man. And, and if it wasn't for the accident, I don't think I would look at things differently ever. If I was still working and walking, I would have never taken the time to realize these small things that mean so much. To your, to your partner and to yourself. I, I could, I feel that the accident helped us, your injury helped us put a pause and if not, if it did not happen, I don't know if we would really be together today. I think it changed us both as people. It took a couple of years, but um, this injury did change my outlook on my relationship, on the way I view things every day. I mean, it wasn't easy. The first couple of years, it's really difficult, but I think if you put in perspective everything the right way dealing with this injury, it's not, it's not the same for everyone. Everyone has different capabilities or different expectations. But I will say that I feel like your injury tore us apart only to bring us back even stronger, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Thank you for sharing your story, by the way. I'm, I think I'm almost speechless here. Do you think that before your injury, you ever would have thought that you would fight and face depression? I mean, were you optimistic before your injury? I, I would have never thought we would even, we were so busy living a life for other people and not for ourselves. We were living for the perception of other people. We were more were what people would say about our marriage or or us individually, or you know, our businesses. It was, we were very, um, I'm trying to find the right words. Um, you're using that word we really openly. Because you know me, I didn't care what people thought about me, I really didn't. You. What I was hand. saying was our perception of our relationship. We yes. could, before we had, we would have blown out arguments, but when we were in front of people, we were the perfect couple. No, no, we definitely knew how to hit it. We never dealt we, with our relationship. Yes. So that's yes. what I'm saying. I'm not saying, no, no. I'm saying our relationship, not we, you know, oh, okay. as in you. What I'm saying is, no, no. we, we were so busy about the perception of our marriage. Like we were perfect. You know, it was great. It was this, it was that. We never worried about how you were feeling, how I was feeling. I mean, you remember you used to tell me. No, you're correct. Like, how long is going to take you to get over something? So this injury definitely makes you, and again, it may happen at the beginning, may happen towards the end. It's, this injury affects everyone differently. But it, it makes you, for us, it made us stronger after it broke us down. You are beating the odds. Statistics show that this type of traumatic event, which affects 
your family life, and your work can take its toll on a relationship, and yet you are able to build your relationship back up to where it's now better than before. I'm sure you've met other couples who are struggling with their relationships, and I think this gives a lot of hope to those, whether someone's injured or not. It can help anyone who is trying to figure out how to make their relationship better. And, and it's totally true, and we've learned how to do mostly everything just differently. And we travel. We just came back from Vegas not too long ago. Um, we, we, you know, we do things. And, I mean, my wife gets a little uh, anxiety to make sure that they don't, the airline doesn't break my chair and that she makes sure that we have shower arrangements, rolling shower, you know, she gets a little tight and, you know, a little nervous, but once we're there and everything's in place, we have a great time. And she's just my person. She's just my best friend and we can talk about anything. And, and now that I'm in this chair, I, I enjoy her company so much more. How many years has it been since your injury? Um, this is six, honey? Yeah, six. Yep. Uh, yeah, this 2016. Five, five, five. Mm -hmm. my bad, five, five, mm -hmm. five. How long had you been married for when your injury happened? 20 something years. Yeah. We've been together since, on and off since we were kids and all. 15, 16, 17, like that. And how did you meet? In the neighborhood. In the neighborhood. Yeah, in New York City, yes. Jen, after the injury, you were holding down a full-time job. You had to be there for Rolo and your children. How did you keep it together? I thought I was keeping it together, but I really wasn't. <laughs> I, I was literally running on empty. Um, my priority was him first. It was Rolo first, get him. I didn't know anything about a spinal cord injury. Right? So you go to the hospital and they tell you, oh, he'll be paralyzed and... Um, and he has a spinal cord injury. And you're like, what is a spinal cord injury, right? And I, I did what everybody else does. I opened Google and I started Googling, like, what is a spinal cord injury? And, you know, because I had so much time in the hospital. And I just started, I took it from that day. I said, I'm going to get him the best help he could get. And, and I had that same mentality, like, life is going to go back to what it was. I'm going to get the best help and keep pushing forward. Um, we were out of state because this accident happened in Tallahassee. Um, and then we went out of state for rehab. But the priority at that moment in time was for him to get better. And I didn't know what better was, right? Because you, you know, you get one doctor that says, oh, yeah, I see him doing this much. And you get another doctor that's like, this is the best you're going to get. Like, so it's so difficult. You, know, you get so many mixed messages. And you just, it's so overwhelming. I know I've spoken to other uh, spouses of spinal cord injuries. And I, I did a few... Um, groups when we were at Shepherds and it was the same everyone felt in the same place you feel so helpless and so overwhelmed and you feel like this person that means so much to you and there's not nothing you could do Hi, 
Hi, this is Veronica, the executive producer of Through Thick and Thin. Welcome to another episode. During this segment, you will hear feedback from our listeners, and we will recognize the associate producers who helped create the show along with those who donate to keep the show going. You will never hear a commercial during this podcast. Instead, we operate on the value or value model. What does this mean? If you find value in this podcast, please contribute your time to help produce episodes, your talent by contributing artwork, or your treasures by donating. All donations go to creating an ecosystem to help people with disabilities. Thank you, Veronica. This week, we have one donation of $100 from Zandra in Kennebunkport, Maine. She writes... Thank you for creating this podcast. It has opened our eyes to the struggles couples face when dealing with this type of a life-changing event. We laughed and cried with David and Arlene and fell in love with them. We appreciate their open, candid, honest feedback. This has caused us to look internally at our own marriage of 50 plus years and really appreciate what we have. We are hooked on this podcast. Keep the episodes coming. Well, thank you very much, Zandra and Kenny Bunport, Maine. Best of luck to you. And now back to you, Veronica. We would like to recognize Angie for the beautiful artwork she contributed to this podcast. If this podcast has helped with your relationship or you would like to make a donation, Please let us know by sending an email to joe at avira.com. That's J-O-E at A-V-E-E-R-A dot com. Jen, when the accident happened, where were you and what was going through your mind? I was in New York. I was in New York and I got a call from a friend of his that was on the motorcycle ride with him. But he's such an exaggerator that when his friend called me, I said, oh, he broke an arm or broke a leg. So right away, um, I, I, you know, get a flight to head to, he goes Tallahassee and it's Sunday night at 6 p.m. There's no flights directly to Tallahassee. So I said, okay, so I'll, you know, said, well, let me see what I could do. I'll go to the airport. I'll get, you know, a flight to Orlando. I'll go to our house. And in the morning I could drive to Tallahassee. So that was my original plan. So I left to the airport with nothing, just my purse. And I was going to come. I was on a flight while I was at the airport in LaGuardia. I get the call from the ER doctor and he's telling me how severe Raul's accident is telling me he might not make it through the night like he just like my whole world flipped upside down and I'm in New York which is forever away on a Sunday rainy night the closest I could get was to Orlando I landed in Orlando at 11:30 at night and I drove five hours in a rental car from Orlando to Tallahassee in the middle of the night with no sleep halfway through the drive I think like I was like an hour away my phone died <laughs> no charger I, I I know I just all I kept saying was okay I have no navigation but I remember the exit being the exit to the hospital and then making two turns and the hospital would be right off the highway off of I-10 I could remember the highway it was and um, getting to the hospital and just he was he was so different like he wasn't the person I like his face was so deformed and there were so many tubes and machines going all over him and I didn't I I wasn't ready for it I don't think anything could ever prepare you for that moment that you see a loved one lying in a hospital bed so helpless. It's an awful gut-wrenching feeling. It was definitely the longest plane ride drive I've ever taken in my life. 
it felt like 48 hours. <laughs> and yet you made the commitment to be with Rolo during rehab and you were able to work from the hospital. I, yep. So I was, I stood, while he was in ICU, I slept in his room every night. Um, for 45 was, days. For 45, 42 days. He was in uh, ICU. Um, I stayed in the hospital. I would go, like, at his room was so cold at night um, that I would literally put on, like, two socks, two hoods, just to sleep in the room with him at night. And he was, you know, in a medically induced coma, but they would take him out to keep his brain functioning. So I would always want to be there when they wake him up. So I would be in the room and he was on a ventilator. So he, when they would take him off the propofol, that's exactly what they had him on. He would like, it would take him a few minutes to get conscious and he would talk to me, but I could read his lips. And the nurses were like, how can you read his lips? <laughs> and he would like tell me full stories of what I had to do. He talked about the first thing he woke up out of the coma. He asked me, was his motorcycle okay? <laughs> it wasn't and, your motorcycle. <laughs> But it was like, that's the first thing he asked for. Like, and, and he said, is my motorcycle okay? And did I hurt anyone? And I said, nobody was on with you. You're fine. And then he was like, okay, as long as I'm the only one hurt. And every, every day they would wake him up twice in the day. And I would want to be there when they woke him up because the nurses would try to read his lips and they wouldn't understand and he would get frustrated and not want to listen to what they say. They would be like, move your eyes this way. And like, he only had, he could only move his right thumb. That was the only part of his body he was moving, his right thumb. So they would take it off. They had it tied up because he was on a ventilator. So he would, when he would wake up, he would want to pull the ventilator off. So they would keep his hands tied up and then they would tell him to move his thumb and he would get frustrated because he would say, well, untie my hands and I could move my hands. He didn't grasp that he was paralyzed. So it was, it, there was so many different types of things we went through in the hospital. And I worked remote. I had my computer on my lap. Um, I work. I worked remote every day. I got a Wi-Fi box. Um, the company I worked for was super supportive. Um, the working actually helped give me a distraction from being in the hospital because I was there alone. Like people would come in to visit him, but most of the time I was at the hospital alone. Like I didn't have any friends. And I had the, the woman that saved him on the side of the road, she became my friend, the nurse that pulled over on the side of the road and, you know, like gave him chest compressions. Um, she became my friend and the nurses in the ICU. But working, give, giving that balance gave me a little bit of some kind of normalcy in what was definitely not a normal environment. And Rolo, after coming off the ventilator, when were you able to talk again? Well, um, I don't remember anything in ICU. Uh, I remember going into Shepherd's. I remember waking up. My wife, I, I woke up in the plane that was an ambulance plane. And I looked around and I was like, what, what, you know, what's going on? And I remember intake in Shepherd's like a brief moment and I think it took me like a day or two and then I was more aware of what was happening around me um, the vent took me like an extra two months honey two months to get off the vent I think it was yeah the vent weaning was yeah it was like two two months, two months. yeah like two months and Thank God, because at night that was like really scary when I had fluid in my in my lungs. I I I would get anxiety thinking I was gonna drown or something. 
And um, yeah, it took me like two months to get off it. That was that was scary. That was, that to me when I was sleeping and I would hear a little bit of mucus, it it would take me somewhere. Um, very scared. Um, two months got off it, and since my diaphragm is half paralyzed, when I would speak, it would look like I had to take a deep breath in order for for, for the words to come out with a certain volume. Um, I was sneezing. But I sounded like a cat purring. And I, how could I say, before the accident, I had a big mouth. I spoke loud. And after the accident, it's just like the volume got turned down to two. And that's now, kind of, that's a kind of plus for the rest of us. <laughs> well, maybe for you and the kids, but, and I say kids, but I have grown men, you know, my youngest. Yeah, for, for us and the kids, we said the one thing that was a plus was when he sneezed, the whole house didn't tremble anymore. You know, so, yeah, um, it took a while for me to get the breathing and the talking. Sometimes I gasped for air. Um, but when I first got off, I, I really felt like I was breathing through a straw. And... Took a while. I mean, my mentality again when I went to rehab when we were talking, I didn't. I understood my injury, but for some apparent reason, I thought I was gonna walk out of there because that's what I thought. And no, um, it it was definitely when I got home to New York and we left Shepherds was when it really hit. And I bet that's when the depression set in. Tell me a little bit about you gaining functionality in your arms to be able to drive a van again. I'm blessed now. Um, when I was in Shepherds, I, I couldn't feed myself. My wife would help feed me. Um, my hands came back how many months like maybe like eight months later a year later huh? yeah so after our second return to so we came home and we went back we came on in September and then we went back in February was it February it was something I can't yeah I think we went back in February and that's when you, your hands started oh. opening up. No, it wasn't February. It was like March, April. Remember, it was warm in Atlanta. It's always it warm, warm in Atlanta. Well, I guess. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, so my hands now, I mean, for for C five, C six. I how could I say? Maybe 40, 60, 40 on my on my left and sixty on my right. I have grip. Um, my thumb doesn't work well on my left hand. Like I can't grab a cup or nothing. But I can grab a knife and, and a fork and I can eat. Um, I can write sloppy, but I wrote sloppy before the accident so that doesn't change anything. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm blessed with my hands. Um, when when I got back to New York, I, I just kept trying to walk and stand and walk. And now I can take steps with the walker. Like I can walk from the bedroom to the living room, sit down or from the living room back to the bedroom. But more than that, it's not happening. Um, you know, I, I still work out. Uh, during COVID, I, I, I just had a pair of dumbbells and I, when I first got home, my wife bought me one pound dumbbells. And I've worked out to a point where I can pick up 25 pound dumbbells and, and, and do uh, bench pressing and, and curling and stuff. Um, it's definitely, I, I definitely worked on my physical part. And once we split up, 
was when I really worked on my mental part. And how could I say, man? She's like, what we have now, if we, if we would have took the minute before my injury and just try to fix it the way it is now, our lives would have been so much better so much sooner. You know? Very true. A life-changing event affects us in so many ways. And to some on the outside, it may look as though it's a desperate situation. But there are exceptions. And for you and Jen, you are able to focus within and pick your relationship up and make it better than ever before. I hope you realize what a special situation you have in front of you. You know, our circle is really in New York. So when they see us, I mean, our kids can tell the difference. They can. Um, but when we see people like, you know, we always acted a different way in front of people like my wife was saying earlier. So you would never know that 10 minutes earlier we were cursing and screaming at each other because as soon as we get on stage, we acted like nothing was wrong. Am I correct, honey? We were, we were separated for 10 months and no one knew. Like our closest family, like our kids knew and maybe a handful of our friends. But there's people that don't know we separated. That's how, like we were still, uh, we separated for 10 months. I spoke to him every day. Any decision I had, I would call him. Any question I had, any question he had for his doctors or for anything. I mean, I think we spent more time on the phone those 10 months we were separated than the 20 years we were married. <laughs> it was... It's crazy how you need to lose something to realize how much you can't live without it. After being apart for 10 months, what do you think brought you back together? I would say our communication and working on ourselves individually. Like we never did that. Um, those 10 months, we were able to focus individually and then... Now that we're back together, we're still focusing individually. And then we take time to communicate better, understand each other's needs, respect those, listen, you know, because you could talk, but if no one's listening, then it's not working. Um, you know, he is my person. He's always been my person. He's my best friend. Um, and it took that time. It, it's sad that we separated, but I think it was the best thing for us. Well, I think it was the best thing because when I got here, like I told you earlier, I saw a therapist and I had a lot of issues and a lot of my own issues that I had to get through. Um, we could be together, but if I'm, if she's not well and I'm not well, the relationship is not going to be well. As individuals, we've grown so much that our relationship now is so strong. And it was that separation that took it to that level to make us realize, wow, that's my best friend. I miss her, you know? And I wish my best friend was here because I could watch this with her. Or I wish I could have this conversation. Or, you know, I'm, I miss my wife's cooking. Or, you know, there was so many things that I did miss that you take for granted. And if I wasn't a better person now, I wouldn't have a better relationship. And that's the way I feel. Without that therapist, um, you know, sometimes I'm on a SCI page and I think that's where I met you. Um, I see guys and, and, 
you know, when some guys say, oh, I need someone to talk to, I always send them a message, hey, guy, I'm here, because I understood what it was like to be alone in this situation. Yeah, you have friends and you have people around you and, and some you can share things with, but they can never really relate to your injury because they never had it. But someone in your situation can better understand what you're going through than someone that's not. And that's why a lot of times on the SCIV, when I see a guy down and out, I send him a message and, you know, I reach out because I wish I would have reached out to someone when I first got home. I wish I would have went to see a therapist. I wish I would have been more in the spinal community that I would have got some type of uh, friendships with other people in my situation. That's incredibly generous of you to be a peer mentor to those in need. For people on the outside, I just don't think that they understand how much we go through and what it takes to even get us out of bed in the morning. And for our significant others, it can be 10 times more taxing because they're trying to juggle everything and keep it together. Yes. Yes. Now, sometimes my wife, like me, lift me and... And she may tweak her back and, and she won't feel good for a couple of days. Those are things that she has it tough just as much as I have it tough. That's right. And there are listeners who have had a spinal cord injury or stroke or traumatic brain injury. And they struggle with their relationships. Given what you've been through, what advice would you give to those listeners? I would say... It's easy to be angry. It's easy to be sad. But it's so much better to be happy and comfortable. And if you can find that, if you take your, whatever steps you have to take, it may it be therapy or just that one day of saying, you know what, I'm not going to be angry today. And I'm not going to make my spouse feel a certain vibe that I have. Sometimes you set the aura, you know. If you're angry and depressed, you know, you it, it just brings it into the relationship. And I feel for a relationship to to be in a good place, you have to be in a good place. And if your wife is not in a good place then you have to try to make her, or not make her, to see that it's better to be in a good place. Because once both of you, don't get us wrong, we're, 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 we still have our days where, you know, we may get nasty with each other, but now we give each other space and we apologize. Like, I can snap at times and I, and I'll catch myself and I'm saying, I'm sorry, my wife, that was uncalled for. Mm -hmm. Those are things I, I never knew before, you know? I never paid attention. So what, what I say is first work on yourself. And the biggest step in the spinal cord injury is to accept this wheelchair as part of you. Because once you accept this wheelchair and you understand that this is what life is now, I think there's a lot of less anger you're carrying or depression. You know, it, it can go either way, anger or depression. I think for me was the big step was getting over that depression of being in a chair and then I started realizing everything else. I realized my shortcomings. I, I realized things that I had to fix. And through rehab and, you know, and reading and 
it, it, it all came together. It all came together. And my wife went to therapy and she got therapy. And it has to be like a, a team effort, I think. I don't think it could be just an individual. It has to be a team effort, I feel. And, but there is no team if you're not well yourself first. You have to get well. I think that's the biggest, biggest hurdle is being comfortable with yourself after the accident. If I had to go back to the beginning of our, of, of the injury, um, the one thing I would do was communicate more and, and express how I was feeling, what I was struggling with. I don't, I don't think if you don't communicate, then you have all these suppressed feelings that only create resentment and anger. And I think if we would have communicated from the beginning and, um, I was someone that never wanted help from anyone. Like I wanted to do everything on my own and I had to learn to let him become more independent. Um, and then I also, a big thing we've learned is that the difference between me being his wife and a caretaker, those are two different roles and I never want to be his caretaker. I always want to be his wife. I help him do whatever we have to do and I'm helping him as his wife. I am, I never want him to think of me as his caretaker. And other people see that differently, but that's how I want him to view me and for me to be in his, in his life. Rolo and Jen, thank you for being on the podcast. Your grit and your determination are inspiring to all of us. We wish you the best of luck in your marriage, with your family, and with your business. Thank you. Thank you. Big thank you to Angie Square from Houston, Texas, for providing the artwork for today's episode, and to the folks over at Purple Planet for providing the music for this. If you find value in this podcast, please share with friends, and be sure to hit the subscribe button for future episodes.